The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. If you'd open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Um, if you saw the outline of today's sermon on the front side of your outline, um, you can tell we're going to look at two stories. Two stories about four people that lived a life of prayer. Four diff- very different people. And um, my prayer is that the Spirit's going to speak to all our hearts about doing life. This first story, um, I call it an eternity-changing story. The second one, I call it kind of a history-changing story. Um, this one begins verse 21 of Luke chapter 2. On the eighth day, when it's time to circumcise him, he was named, and there's that name that we just sang in praise and worship and, and prayer, uh, Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. An angel had spoken to Joseph and to Mary to make sure that name was given. Um, I knew a family when their little baby was born. Uh, they named the baby and the next day, dad came in the hospital and he looked at his wife. He said, I had a dream last night and our son's gonna be called Noah. And so they changed the birth certificate to Noah. I don't know what's happened with your name, uh, what your name means, but we've heard what that name means, that he is our savior, given to him at time of circumcision. Now what Luke does, so we go from the eighth day, then verse 22, he actually goes 40 days later. 40 days later, Mary and Joseph take him in, back to the temple it's time for their purification, according to the law of Moses. <clears throat> it had been completed, so Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And then verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Notice how Luke, in each verse, what they're doing is to fulfill this law of Moses, the ceremonial laws of Moses Jesus was under. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And right from the very beginning, he's living the life that you and I have failed to live. This, though, the ceremonial laws of ancient Israel, and he is fulfilling them. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. That's all we know about him is his name. But then it tells us something about him. He was righteous and that word devout. Uh, In the paraphrase of the Bible called the message, the word devout is translated as prayerful. He prayed expectantly. Prayed expectantly. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Another word for consolation is comfort. And if you came out of the Jewish tradition like Simeon did, when you think of comfort, you think of Isaiah chapter 40. And maybe as a Christian, you know that chapter. The whole book of Isaiah transitions in chapter 40, verse 1. It says, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell them that their warfare has ended. Their sins are forgiven. And Simeon sums that all up in that phrase. Luke sums it up in the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for that time. It had been revealed to him, verse 26, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. 
when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom, there's that phrase again, custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, uh, the parents that had their babies baptized, you know that first time you took your baby in the arms, what that felt like. Um, recently, I heard somebody say a baby changes everything. I think probably as parents, you would agree with that. They change everything. This baby changes eternity. This baby changes eternity for the human race. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. Simeon says, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. Simeon is saying something that we're going to see fulfilled in the next story we're going to look at where this Jesus is not just for one group of people, he's for all people, including you and I. I'd like you to think about this. Simeon had a devotional, worshipful lifestyle. He was waiting, living on a promise of God, and Jesus showed up. Just think if Simeon did not have that habit of prayer and worship, what he would have missed out on that day. But he had that. He was there, living the life he lived in a normal day, and Jesus showed up. Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them. And then he said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the fall and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. So right away at the very birth of Jesus, this picture that some are going to believe and some won't. Some will see him as the son of God, some won't. And then it says this about Mary and a sword. So now Simeon's words take our thoughts to Calvary because Mary's going to stand at Calvary and see her son crucified. A sword will pierce your own soul too. How quickly his words go from the celebration of the birth to the death and the reality of who Jesus was. Then it goes to verse 36, introduces us to Anna. It tells us some details about her, that she's a daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. She was very old. <clears throat> she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, so she was widowed at a very young age. And then as a widow, <clears throat> she's been for 84 years. So she never left the temple. She's got this habit of prayer and worship too. Night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon used the word comfort. She used the word redemption. In that culture, it was an extremely important word. Um, in our culture, we don't really use that word because people usually can't experience a redeemer. It'd be like at Christmas, um, you went crazy on your MasterCard, and now you get the bill in January. And you realize you never should have done what you did. And you are in so much debt, you can't possibly get out. In Jewish culture, when you enter that kind of debt, you would look for a redeemer. Now, the redeemer had to have three qualities. So when she says about the redemption of Jerusalem, she's talking about Jesus becoming our redeemer because, first of all, a redeemer had to be a blood relative. 
So in order to get a redeemer in Jewish culture, you had to go to somebody in the family. So she's saying Jesus is part of our family. He became human. He became one of us. Secondly, a redeemer had to be able to pay the price, had to be able, had to have had the resources to do it. And Jesus lived the life that you and I have failed to live. And he would die the death that we deserve. He will buy us back from our sin. And finally, the redeemer had to be willing. And Jesus was. Thank God he made that decision to Gethsemane to go to Calvary. And he went there for you and for me. So Jesus becomes the redeemer. Simeon and Anna, what they would have missed out on if they, didn't, if they weren't in the habit of worship and prayer. What they would have missed out on. Now, I'm a guy that likes fishing. Some of you know that. And you've probably heard too many fishing stories already from me if you know me. But there have been many days when I go fishing and somebody tells me, you should have been here yesterday. Should have been here yesterday. Well, that tells you we're having a bad day and that was a good day. I missed it. Um, I know I can't go fishing every day. And you've carried this thing too far, you end up with bad theology because you get the idea that some days it's worthwhile praying and some days it's not. Well, the reality of prayer and worship is this, that God promises to be part of that. He promises that all our prayers matter to him. We're going to see that in the next story we're going to look at. So these two people are in the habit. They are in the habit of worship and prayer and devotional living, and God provided a very holy moment for them, a very holy moment in that habit. So I believe this. As you enter 2020, if you need your soul restored, if you need your life renewed, if you need to see sin that is destroying your life and have God deal with it, if you need your faith to be reignited, if you need strength to live a life before you, then think of Simeon and Anna and how they did life. Two just average people, worship and prayer, and Jesus showed up. Go with me to Acts chapter 10. We meet two more people here. Acts chapter 10. 10 verse 1, and it tells us at Caesarea, so we're not in a holy city, if you would. We're in the city that houses the Roman legions that take care of occupying Palestine, Jerusalem. There's a man named Cornelius, and notice he's not a pastor, he's not a religious, you know, we wouldn't see him as a religious person. Turns out, though, that in his doing life, he has a lifestyle of prayer and worship. He's a centurion. He was known as the, in the Italian regiment. So he's a leader of many Roman soldiers. And verse two tells us something about him. He and all his family were, there's that word again, devout. Same word applied to Simeon and God-fearing. So somehow he as a Roman came to know and believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He gave generously, look what he did because of that faith. He gave generously to those in need. And here's the key phrase. He prayed to God regularly. Now I was at a conference a few months ago and I heard a pastor give a devotion on this particular story. And that's what really moved me to want to share this at this time of the year. Because I had read this story many, many times. This is a history changing story. You're going to see it in just a minute. 
But that little phrase there, he prayed to God how? Regularly. He has a lifestyle of prayer, just like Simeon and Anna did. One day at about three in the afternoon, so in this lifestyle, there's a very holy moment. He has a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered. And here's this verse I want you to focus on in terms of how God values our prayers. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Your prayers and gifts have come up as a memorial offering before God. In the book of Psalms, it says our prayers are like incense before God. In the book of Revelation, two different times, it uses the same picture. Our prayers are like incense before God. Now, if any of you come out of the Orthodox tradition, if you go into an Orthodox church on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you will know they worshiped on Sunday because you can smell the incense. Incense doesn't just come in and go. It's not like that. It lingers. And I'd like you to picture these prayers that Cornelius had been praying were lingering before God, just like your prayers linger before God's throne of grace. Verse five, now send men, this is what he needs to do now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter, that name we know, He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called to two of his servants, and here's another person of prayer, a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Verse 9, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up, notice this phrase, he went up to the roof to pray. Now, we would expect that of Peter because he had been with Jesus. He saw how Jesus lived a life of prayer. So now we've got Anna, Simeon, Cornelius, and Peter have this habit of praying. Verse 10, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and, and eat. Surely not, Lord. Peter, I replied, I've, not, I, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. According to Jewish ceremonial and customs of their day, they could eat certain foods commanded by God. They could not eat others. And God's asking him to eat the food that non-Jewish people eat. The voice said to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. I love verse 17. This is Peter who walked with Jesus, right, who saw the resurrection, and it says he's wondering. He's wondering about the meaning of the vision. The vision seems pretty clear. He's supposed to do something, trying to figure the whole thing out. And as that happens, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asked if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. 
Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. I encourage you, when you're in your prayer life, in your worship life, and God puts a nudge in your heart, you follow that. Sometimes, you know, it happens to me, maybe it happens to you. Um, you know, you start thinking of somebody. You make that phone call, right? You make that visit. Um, you, you feel a leaning towards doing something. Follow on that. Follow on that. God's, our prayers are before God's throne. He moves on them, and now stuff is happening. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet in reverence, but Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people, and he said to them, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? This is where all of history changes for the Christian church. The gospel of Jesus Christ was not just for the Jews. It was, like John 3.16 says, whosoever. Whosoever believes in Jesus can have eternal life. And eternal life is coming to Cornelius' house because he had a life of prayer. And maybe he was praying for that. Maybe he was praying for his whole family to be saved someday. Drop down to verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize it's true that God does not show favoritism. Aren't you thankful for that? My name is not Simon Peter, right? I'm more like... Uh, Simeon, maybe more like a Cornelius, maybe you too. You know, you have an army soldier that God is using because he had a life of prayer. He prayed inside of his life. He prayed inside of how he did life. But God accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message. God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea. Now look how simple it is for Peter to tell the story of Jesus. Beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, that's John the Baptist, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And I love this next line. We are witnesses. We are witnesses of everything he did, everything Jesus did. Can you imagine in those few words what's in Peter's mind? Um, in the field of psychology, they talk about impact events. Impact events. You know how you can forget what we did two days ago? But I don't forget where I was when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I remember that day. I remember the room I was sitting in in high school. I was a freshman in high school. I can remember the lighting in that room. You, know, you don't forget 9-11. I can remember walking out of the chiropractor's office, turning on my radio and hearing that news. I can remember what the day looked like, weather-wise. Imagine Peter, day after day, having these impact events. And the greatest impact event that Peter saw was the resurrection. 
Can you imagine what was in his mind as he speaks these words? He says, we are witnesses of everything. He says, I saw it. I experienced it. Everything Jesus did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem, they killed him by hanging him on a tree. And I love this next phrase, verse 40. But God raised him from what? The dead. The third day and caused him to be seen. Don't ever take those words lightly. Don't ever breeze through those words. That is what our faith is all about. You cannot read the New Testament without reading about the resurrection. You can't read the book of Acts. Every time they talk about Jesus, it's the resurrection. It's the resurrection. You're going into 2020 with a resurrected Jesus who said, I have brought the kingdom of God down to this earth. That's what he said. The kingdom of God is among you. So now we have a king who reigns and rules our life. We have a king who has a will that he wants accomplished in our life. We have a king who will provide for us in our life. Jesus, our resurrected Lord. Verse 41, he was, he was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. And God wants all of us here today, he wants all of our friends and loved ones to see that resurrection. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. Four people who had lives of pra- lifestyles of prayer and worship. Apostle Paul says this in Romans 15, 4. Would you read these words with me on the screen? For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. There's probably many different teachings you could pull out of these two stories, but a teaching that I'd really like us to think about today is this. The story of Simeon and Anna, Cornelius and Peter. Stories of devout followers of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Followers of Jesus. How did they do life? They did life through prayer and worship. Prayer and worship. Now, I don't know about you all, but I don't always feel like coming to church, okay? You know, I'm making an honest confession here. I don't always feel that way. But you know what so many times happens? A lot of times it's on days like that where something happens in my heart and my life. There was, there was about three, four weeks ago I came to church with kind of that attitude. I was sitting over where my wife and I sat and I took communion, <clears throat> knelt down to pray. And as I was praying, a man put his hand on my shoulder and it's a man who's lost his wife. And he asked me to pray with him. You don't think it's a holy moment for me? You know what, you think about this, as you do life, what we could miss out on by not being people like Simeon and Anna, Cornelius and Peter. People who have a lifestyle of prayer. Going into a new year, Apostle Paul said this, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Because you know, for these four people, worship and prayer was not just an activity. It was their identity. It's how they're identified as people. It's how they're described as people. It's their identity. I'd like you to consider four questions with me. They're not meant to just make us feel bad, okay? I want them to be encouraging. 
As Paul said, these stories are there to give us hope. How do we want to do life in 2020? If we were reading your life story, would you be known as a devout person? If we're reading your life story, would we read about your discipline of prayer? If we're reading your life story, are you found regularly in worship? And if we're reading your life story, are you looking for how your Savior can use your life? I believe God wants to use our lives in 2020. I really do. Um, a lifestyle of prayer and worship. I want to share with you as we wrap this up um, three lessons that God has taught me over the years. Um, first one is this, and this one's really important. Uh, this lifestyle does not make God love you more. It doesn't make you love you more. He can't love you any more than he already does. He loves you. What it does do, though, I believe it equips you to do life in this world. And I'd like you to think about this. You have a man by the name of Abraham who's known as this great man of faith. And then you have his son Isaac. And you always hear about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, when you read his story in Genesis 12 and 13, wherever he goes, the first thing he does is build an altar. He's on this journey. Wherever he goes, he builds an altar. He worships. When you read the story of Isaac in chapter 26, the first thing Isaac always does is dig a well. He always digs a well first. Now you tell me, where did that belief in the God that was speaking to Abraham come from? Where did it come from in his heart that he could walk up that mountain with his son and have your son say to you, Dad, we got the wood, we got the fire, but where's the sacrifice? When you read that story, Abraham looks at his son and says, God's going to provide it. Now, we don't know what questions were in his heart when he said those words, but he was able to say it. He was able to say it, and God did provide it. So maybe what happens, and I would suggest this to you, that in those holy moments like Simeon and Anna and Cornelius and Peter had, and you and I can have, in a lifestyle of worship and prayer, God equips us so that we can actually do the life that's in front of us. That's where the strength comes from. That's where the strength comes from. Another thought along this line, it's not necessarily about God loving us more, but when I was, a, I remember I was a teenager playing baseball, and if I missed church on Sunday, I'd think I'd have a bad day at home plate. If I'd go to church, I'd have a good day. <laughs> that's not what it's about either. It's not about creating a good day or a bad day by my behavior. God is at work. God is asking me to do life this way and allow him to be the king of his kingdom that I get to live in. Second lesson that I've learned is this. There is always room for improvement. There's always room for improvement. Jesus said, pray and never give up. The apostle Paul said, pray constantly. There's always room for improvement. And the third thing I want to share with you is this. If you're looking for, for that type of life in your own life, I believe the best thing to do is ask Christians you know who have that kind of life. Ask other Christians. Ask other Christians. Now, their way may not be the answer for you, but the more you keep asking, you will come on some stuff that touches your heart. 
What do they do for prayer life? What do they do for their worship life? Not just in this building, but on a day. Well, how, do they, how do they do life? Um, it was, I don't know how many years ago it was, probably over 20 years, maybe more. My wife found this book that she read that touched her heart about taking the Lord's Prayer and praying it, making it your daily discipline of prayer and using it as a prayer outline. Well, that's actually what worked for me. But it came to me because my wife suggested it. Now, you guys, you know when your wife gives you a book, most guys don't like to read the book their wife gives them. But I, I just encourage you, be open and ask people you know who have that in their life. It could be a grandpa, it could be a grandma, it could be a neighbor, it could be somebody in your small group. You know, somebody you who know that they just seem to have something different about them. Ask them how do they do it. Um, if you're interested, I'm going to give you a short advertisement here, but on February 5th and 12th, I'm going to take two evenings here on Wednesday nights and walk through that with people who'd like to do that. I'm going to show you the habit of prayer that works for me, and we can share habits of prayer in that room maybe even, and we can just take time to ask questions about prayer, read Bible verses about prayer, uh, just get into the habit of prayer. That will be on February 5th and 12th. We join me in prayer? Gracious Father, your word is before us. Two stories that point us first and foremost to Jesus, our Savior, who lived the life that we have failed to live under your law, and he died the death that we deserve, to bring us into a relationship with you in which our prayers are accepted at your throne of grace. We are now your children, and you are our Father. I ask that you use the stories of Anna and Simeon, of Cornelius and Peter, to grow our lives in prayer and worship so we could do what you would have us to accomplish in this coming year. Give us strength and encouragement to be who you desire us to be and to do what you desire us to do. We pray this in the most powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.